good to be with you in worship. I, I just want to say uh, thank you on behalf of all of our pastors. Uh, what a blessing uh, this month has been, and so many of you have expressed your love to us in so many ways. And, and just remind you, um, we, you know, we called up our, our full-time pastor, pastor pastors. Uh, pastor Nike wasn't with us because we had a retreat this weekend uh, with about 50-plus kids um, that were uh, back with our student center uh, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night. They were spending the night here and just uh, an amazing weekend. God did a lot of good things in our students' lives. Um, and so he's actually with the students. They had a 9 o'clock service, uh, prayer time, uh, and then an 11 o'clock service uh, this morning. And so uh, that's, that's where Pastor Nike was. Uh, and we have many pastors on our staff team that weren't called up. We have a lot of uh, part-time pastors, volunteer pastors uh, that just make a difference in so many ways. And so uh, although we called up our full-time pastors, um, I'm just grateful for the many pastors on our team uh, that, that make our, our church what it is. Um, and just uh, I want to say thank you on all of our behalf uh, for just your expressions of love uh, this past month. It's been, it's been uh, kind and uh, well-received and um, you know, that, that video was great at the beginning because sometimes, uh, you know, we do get those emails. So it's nice uh, when, when, you, uh, when things are going well, you, you hear about it. So um, anyway, hey, listen, we are in the fourth week of this series that we've been in on navigating emotions. Um, and we're just talking, uh, looking specifically at the book of Psalms uh, and the lament Psalms specifically and talking about how uh, we can look at certain emotions, uh, theologically and biblically and uh, psychologically, to kind of say, how can we navigate these good gifts from God? And so if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. If you are connecting with us online, uh, we are thankful for this uh, technology that keeps us connected and look forward to when you can be here in person and we can get to know you in person. Um, three weeks ago, we talked about how emotions are a good gift from God. They are not bad. They're not something that we ought to try to get rid of. They are good. It's how we navigate those emotions that can be really healthy or unhealthy. And so as we deal with all of these emotions, uh, there are healthy responses to the emotion and there are unhealthy responses. And so we want to take those healthy responses. Uh, we talked two weeks ago about sadness and, and particularly depression and how we can walk through that, uh, and how the Psalms and praying the Psalms can help us walk through those emotions. Uh, we talked uh, two weeks ago, or last week, about uh, fear, and this morning when I went to my desk, there was a spider on my desk. Um, <laughs> and so I got vulnerable with you, and it was abused already, uh, you know, so, and I'm angry about it. No, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Um, but we are talking about anger today. Uh, that's where we're headed uh, this morning. Um, next week, we're going to close this series out uh, by talking about uh, the emotion of desire um, and how we can navigate that emotion uh, in healthy ways and unhealthy ways. Uh, and then we're going to jump into, in two weeks, a brand new series, uh, a two-week series just on vision, on where God is leading us. And I'm so excited uh, to talk about the future, where we're headed, how can, you can be a part of that. Um, it's just going to be a short, exciting two-week series. Um, and so next week, we'll finish this out, and then we'll jump into that new series. But today, as we shift our attention to this emotion of anger... I thought about uh, the old series, The Office, um, and so I thought I would show you a couple of clips of a couple of people getting angry. Watch this. 
put my calculator in Jello. Good one. But uh, seriously, guys, who did this? Seriously, guys, who did this? I need to know who put my calculator in Jello, or I'm gonna lose my mind. What is this? It's real simple. If you don't appreciate what we do, then give us back our basket. Take it there. It's been opened. Yeah, it was mine. What's missing? The turtles. Where are the Summer turtles? Sausage. Where are the turtles? Come on, guys, get out of here. Where are the turtles? Where are the... Uh, so if you've never watched that show, I'm not suggesting you start, uh, but uh, man, you know, this just shows you um, some, some moments of anger. And, and let's just be, let's be really honest this morning um, that all of us get angry. How many of you, how many of you have been angry in the past? Raise your hand. Come on, let's be honest together. We're in church. How many of you got angry on the way to church this morning? Uh, come on, come on, right? Yeah. Um, parents are like, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> For sure, every Sunday. Um, so uh, let's look together. Uh, psalm 37 is the psalm that we're going to look at today. Uh, I want to read the first 11 verses of Psalm 37. Uh, and then we're going to um, just talk about this emotion, kind of what, what causes us to be angry, how can we respond in healthy ways, and then specifically look back at this psalm at the end and discover uh, some ways that God can help us, and, and particularly this psalm can help us as we navigate this emotion of anger. Psalm 37 says this, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you'll live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, and trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. And what's important that we, I'll just point out now is it is possible to make the choice to turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. So this is God's word for us today, and we are thankful for it. So, you know, as, as we think about anger... As we think about uh, this emotion that, you know, we, we want to we wanna sometimes say, you know, the more Christ-like you become, you know, you, you shouldn't get angry. In fact, I, I've been in church my whole life, um, and uh, I have particularly heard um, in, 
in the church teaching at times that, you know, this idea of, of sanctification, and so, and, and sanctification is just a big word that you hear us talk about all the time when we say our mission is helping people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Where God wants you to be is sanctified. It, scripture says it's God's will that you would be sanctified. And, and sanctification is just, it's, it's not just salvation where you say, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? But it's then walking into this deeper place of complete surrender where you've given God everything and he has fully filled your heart with his spirit and you're walking in love and you're walking in righteousness and you're walking in the ways that are pleasing to God. And, and that's where God wants you to be. And we talk about that a lot. We just don't use that word a lot. Um, but this idea of sanctification, I've heard it taught that sanctification um, is, is this idea of of your heart being eradicated, all anger being eradicated from your heart. Your heart's full of love with no anger. And I'll just say that's not true. That's not true because if we say sanctification is getting rid of anger, then what we're saying is sanctified people don't have emotions. And that's not true. Sanctified people do have emotions. No matter how close you get to Jesus, no matter how well you're walking with Jesus, there are going to be things that are going to make you angry. It will absolutely happen. The question is not, do you get angry? The question is, what do you do when you become angry? How do you manage that anger? What, what do you do in the midst of your anger um, to, to be able to walk in righteousness? How do righteous people get angry and stay righteous? Um, and, and how can you navigate uh, that particular emotion? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and there is a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. There's a difference between uh, an anger that is uh, appropriate and an anger that's not appropriate. Uh, we know this because in the Bible, if you look specifically at the Old Testament, the word anger shows up 445 times in the Old Testament. Of those, 365 times of them are attributed to God, and only 80 times is it attributed to people. And so there is a four-to-one mention of anger in the Old Testament of God being the one who's angry. So if God can be angry, that means that anger itself must not be sinful. Um, if, if God can be angry and we are created in the image of God, there must be a purpose for when we get angry that must be a good purpose and a righteous purpose. And what is that? Um, we see in the Old Testament, uh, almost every time God gets angry, it's when there is an injustice in the world that God is angry about that injustice. There's, there's someone who's being taken advantage of. There are those with power who are oppressing those without power. Those uh, who are uh, in power who are hurting or abusing those who don't have power. And, and whenever we see that in Scripture, we see God getting angry. And, and so there are times, apparently in Scripture, where it's good to become angry. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And in the New Testament, uh, their anger is mentioned 65 times. And there are two particular Greek words that are used to describe anger in the New Testament. Uh, one of those words, you can write this down, there are two types of anger. One of those describes a situational anger. Uh, situational anger, I don't know how many of you are campers. Any of you camp, like to camp, watched a TV show or a movie about camping? All right, okay. Um, so that camping is when you go in the woods and you're miserable for a few days. Um, and I'm just kidding. That's not, anyway, we like to camp. Our family camps. Family that camps together gets angry a lot together while you're camping. 
and then you work through it, and then you stay together for the long haul. It's really healthy. Anyway, um, so um, when we got married, Melanie said, hey, if we get married, just so you know, we're going to go camping every year in North Carolina. And I was like, awesome. I'm mean, like, how many wives say that to their husband? I'm like, I'm in. So that's, we've been doing it almost every year. So, uh, but in camping, so when you're trying to build a fire, you get all these like dry leaves, dry kindling, dry grass, and then you put little twigs over that, and then you put little bigger sticks. And, look, and the idea is that the, the stuff that flashes fast would catch the littler twigs on fire, and then it builds a good fire. And so if you're a good boy scout or girl scout, you know how to do this. Um, but if you just get a bunch of dry leaves together, just get a bunch of dry, you know, uh, pine needles together, and you put a match to that, this is kind of like situational anger. What happens when you put your match to that? It flames up really quick, right? And it makes a big flame very fast, and then almost as quickly, it dies right back down. It just, it kind of flames up fast, and then it dies right back down. And so this is kind of the situational anger that's talked about in the New Testament. It's mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. It's when you feel your anger coming up and it, it's like you feel your face getting, something happened and you just get angry. But just as quickly as it comes, you're able to work through it, you're able to process it, and you're able to then let it die down. It's, it's situational. But then there's a, another type of anger that's mentioned in the New Testament, and it's it's an anger that isn't this kind of comes up quickly and goes down quickly, but it's, it's more of a chronic anger. You can write that in your notes. It's this chronic anger that is long-lived. It, it simmers. It seethes. It's, it's this volcano that's just constantly brewing and ready to erupt. And, and it's, it's the person who's just always nursing that grudge and they're just massaging that grudge, and they're just hanging on to that grudge, and, and they're just always on edge, ready to explode. They're, they're the, kind of, the kind of person that you're just, you kind of have to walk on eggshells around because you just never know when, when you're going to step on the wrong thing or you're going to do the wrong thing, and they're going to explode because they're just always simmering and seething, and there's this anger that's brewing in the depth. And and, and sooner or later, it explodes out, and, and it doesn't always explode in appropriate ways. And so whenever you see someone like Michael Scott, who, you know, I had somebody ask me, what, what's up with the turtles? So they were like the little chocolate turtles with the pecans in them, you know, so in the caramel, little, you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, if you ever see somebody getting that upset over the turtles, you know, where are the turtles? There's something more going on, right? They probably just drove their car into a, a lake uh, because their GPS steered them wrong. But that's a whole other episode. But anyway, um, so there's, there's just more going on in the background that's causing you to explode about smaller things because this bigger, deep problem is just rooted in the distance. And so um, we, we just see this over time, and it's, it's not necessarily the situation that causes you to explode, but it's this deeper thing that, that has just been brewing, and you've been seething, and it's kind of you're always stoking the coals and keeping it hot. Um, and when we get angry in this way, um, we just carry this, this chronic anger with us, and, and usually what happens is we try to recruit other people to get equally as angry as us, right? And so we're upset about something that someone has done, and so we, write, we recruit other people. You know, did you hear what they did, and did you know what happened? And, and we, we want to get other people, and so we're recruiting other people to get on our anger. And, and, and we hold on to this, and we, we just we, we nurture it. And all of a sudden, we're not just angry about that thing that caused us to be angry in the first place. 
Well, all of a sudden, we're angry about everything. All of a sudden, we're, we're just angry at the world. And I, you know, I don't know if you see this. I mean, if you're on social media, you absolutely see this. Um, there's just a lot of people that are just angry all the time. And it just seems like um, we're even less likely to use our filters uh, because people have some like common sense kindness filters. Uh, but somehow on social media, people forget all of those filters and they're just brutal. They're just they're angry and it just comes out in, in all kinds of, of ugly ways. And uh, this is why it becomes a cancer that erodes our soul. And the person that hurt you or the person that offended you or the person that did something that made you angry in the first place that you're stoking and you're brewing and you're holding on to that, um, instead of doing what Jesus tells us to do, Jesus would say what you are to do is to forgive that person. The reason we don't forgive them is we say, well, if I forgive them, it means what they did, what they did wasn't wrong or what they did wasn't that bad. And I, it just seems like it minimizes what they did. And, and that doesn't mean that. What they did was terrible to you. What they did was horrible to you. What they did was wrong to you. All of those things can be true, but Jesus says you are to forgive them, not for their sake. Jesus says you're to forgive them for your sake. It's forgiving almost for selfish reasons because they have forgotten about this. They have moved on. They're sleeping great at night, and you're the one who's just stewing over that thing. You're brewing over that thing, and, and it's, it's, just it's eating at you, and it's causing you to explode about lesser things that come up because of this thing that you're nurturing in the past. Uh, Paul talks a lot about anger in the New Testament. He, he addresses it quite often. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 27, Paul says this to the uh, church in Ephesus. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. So in other words, you can become angry, but you don't have to sin by letting that anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And so there's just this beautiful picture in this short uh, passage here where Paul is saying, hey, you can become angry, but you don't have to sin. It is possible to become angry and not sin. Um, and you don't have to let that anger become a central part of your life and become destructive in your life and in the life of other people. He goes on and he says, hey, don't let the sun go down in your anger. So this is just a really simple way. Whenever you get angry, just choose that this is going to be like that situational anger. It's okay to get angry, but just choose that you're never going to let one day go by. You're not going to go to sleep at night before you deal with that, before you address it, before you choose to forgive, and before you say, I'm, I'm not going to let this control my life I'm going to move forward in trusting you, God, and I'm not going to let that hurt, that pain, that thing that's caused me to be angry. And, and it can still be painful. It can still hurt. It can still be a disappointment. But I'm not going to let that anger take root in my life. And the reason is, as Paul goes on, he says, when you let anger, when, when you don't deal with it in 24 hours, and you let it take root in your heart, then it's literally like you've left a foothold for Satan. So just try to picture trying to close your front door from, a, from somebody who's trying to come in to your home, and, and you're trying to keep them out of your house, but before you can get the door closed, they slip their foot into the door, and you can't get the door to latch, and you can't bolt it, right? This is kind of like a, a scary movie scene, and, and this, is, this is what it is. When you choose to harbor anger, 
It's like you've allowed Satan to put a foothold into your house and, and he can come in. And so there's so many of us that we have, we just have all kinds of destructions happening in our homes and our lives. And, and it's because we've allowed Satan to have a foothold in our life because we've chosen to harbor and hold on to and nurse that grudge and stoke those coals and, and keep it hot and, and just to always be thinking about it. And, and, and for, for many of us, that, that might be something in our past it could be that you're spending hours and hours on social media or on talk radio or watching a particular news channel, and it doesn't matter whether that's from the left side or the right side, either one of them will make you mad if you listen to them long enough, and they will just tell you enough stuff about all the things, and it'll just make you mad, and they'll just stir you up, and, and before you know it, you're just holding on to this anger instead of saying, God, I need you to help me let go of this anger. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5, again, Paul says this, he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Why does Paul say love keeps no record of being wronged? Why? Because when you hold on to the record of being wronged, then you're stoking that fire and you're just it's brewing and, and it turns into chronic anger. It turns into something that is hugely destructive in your life and in the life of people around. So um, now here, here's what's important to note. It is possible for you to be offended. It's not only possible, it's probable. And that, that's probably gonna happen this week. Somebody's gonna offend you, right? It's, it's possible, it's probable that you are going to be hurt or you are going to be wronged, maybe in the next week. This is, this, is, this is normal life. You'll be disappointed, you'll be hurt. That is probably going to happen, but you do not have to let those hurts, you do not have to let those disappointments turn into bitterness. You don't have to allow them to turn into uh, something that, that stirs you to become this person of chronic anger that you're just always exploding because of something that has happened in the past. You're, you're always volatile because of something that has happened uh, in, in your life, whether it was far past in your life or recently in your life. You, you've got to be willing to say, Lord, help me deal with my anger. Help me navigate this anger. I have this emotion, God. I don't know what to do with this emotion. I need your help in working through these things. And so as you think about this, um, you need to know some motivations of why we get angry. In your notes, you can write this down. Motivation about why you're angry is usually the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. So if you wonder, well, well am I righteously angry? Well, then what is the motivation? What's causing you to be angry? And that'll give you some clues whether you have a righteous anger or an unrighteous anger. So what provokes anger in us? Number one, violated convictions uh, or perceived injustice. All of us in this room has a sense of right and wrong. Those of you who are watching online, you have this sense of what is fair, what is unfair, what is just, what is unjust. You, you just watch when people get upset about things, when people get angry about things, it's usually, you know, think about your kids. When do they get most upset? That's not fair, right? There's just this sense from, from children to adults, all of us have this sense of what's right, what's wrong, what's just, what's unjust, what's fair, what's unfair. And whenever that sense of fairness or justice gets violated, 
It causes us to be angry. This is the good side of anger. This is the healthy side of anger. This is where anger is a God-given gift. There are things in the world that should cause us to be angry. And, and, and the thing about anger that is a righteous anger is when those things in the world happen and cause us to be angry, we should do something about it. We should address it. So this is the reason when, when you see children who don't have clean water in the world and that causes you to be angry, that we as a church don't just get angry, but then we do something and we give to clean water efforts, right? Um, when, when you see injustice in the world, when you see people oppressed in the world, when, when you see things that just aren't right, the church can ignore it or the church can do something about it. And what's important is we recognize that the body of Christ is that not all of us are going to become angry about all the same things. And this is really important because we're such a divided culture right now that, that we say, well, what makes me angry should make everybody angry. Or what makes them angry, you know, and so, so sometimes I'm not only angry about the injustice, I'm angry that all of you aren't angry about the injustice that I'm angry about. Um, and the reality is, is what we should do is say, listen, God has caused me to care passionately about this, and I need to do something about this. I need to address this, and the things that God has stirred in your heart to become angry, you should do something about those things. And, and as the body of Christ as a whole allows anger to move us into action, then we will address so many of the problems in the world. It makes me angry when I see children who are oppressed by adults, when I see children abused by adults, when, when, I, when I see situations where people with power, adults with power, hurt young kids, that, that makes me angry. I want to do something about that. That's, that's part of the reason a few years ago we gave so much to the Shechem Children's Home in the Philippines to, to pull kids out of sex trafficking uh, that is used on the internet because that just makes us angry. And our anger ought to drive us to do something about that. Does that make sense? It, it makes me angry when I, when I see payday loans and I, I see institutions that, that take people who are in difficult financial places and they, they put them in a cycle of debt by giving them ridiculously high interest loans so that they have to keep coming back payday after payday and it, it turns into a financial slavery. That makes me angry. And, and we ought to do some. Part of the reason we, we partner with Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ here in Brevard County is because we, we would love to see all the payday loans shut down uh, in Brevard County because it, it is a sinful organization that, that hurts people in poverty. It makes me angry when I see racism and I see anybody who looks at another person and treats another person differently because of the color of their skin or their birthplace of origin. That makes me angry. And the church ought to do something. The, the body of Christ ought to speak up when we see these kinds of things. And, and there are different levels of things that get us angry. There, there are different things that stirs up. So um, there are some of you, um, who you can just kind of picture this with me, um, certain things, I, I get angry about a lot of injustices, I get angry about a lot of wrong things in the world, but there are some of them that are just more important than others, right? So as an example, um, children being abused makes me angry. It also makes me angry when I see people throw an entire McDonald's bag out of their window when they're driving down the interstate and just litter on the side of the road. 
that really bothers me, right? But the level of anger is very different between a child being abused and somebody throwing a McDonald's bag out of their window, right? Both of those are wrong. Both of those cause me to become angry, but, but there's just a difference in the magnitude because of the magnitude of the sin. And so um, what we need to know is whenever you get angry about an injustice, Scripture would call us to do something about it. It would cause us to take action against that. And and it's not that everybody has to take action against the thing that's causing you to be angry, but you ought to take action against the thing that's causing you to be angry. And, and that there ought to be uh, an ability for you to say, hey, how can I give to an organization that would help with that? How can I volunteer in a way that could help with that? How can I make a difference? How can I lead even in an area in our church where other people might be able to say, hey, I'll be a part of that if you'll lead it. What can we do to make a difference in the world around us? And so uh, anger should cause us to make a difference in the world. Jesus, um, there's a great example in the New Testament of this where Jesus goes in to the outer temple courts um, and Jesus sees that the, the money changers and the people that are selling all the, the animals for the sacrificial system. And, and, and the Bible says he gets angry, and he goes and he actually flips tables um, and is just so upset about what he sees. And, and what we don't often understand, first of all, I'll just say this, it's important to note that when you think about Jesus, you don't think, you know, Matthew doesn't say, oh, and that was like the fifth table that he'd flipped that week. You know, that's not what Matthew says uh, in, in the gospel. It was a very uncommon thing for Jesus to respond in that way. He was known for being loving and compassionate and caring, but there were times where he became so angry. In this case, he flipped tables. The other thing you need to know is why he did that is uh, if you've ever traveled internationally and you've had to exchange your money for another nation's currency, and you know there's usually a slight upcharge on that uh, for that transfer of money, and you have to pay that. What was happening here in this case uh, at Passover, uh, some scholars say that Jerusalem would go from 40,000 people to a million people during the Passover time, where people from all over the world converged on Jerusalem for Passover. And, and at that influx of people, there were all these people that brought foreign currencies in. And what the money changers were doing in these outer courts is they were exchanging the money at exorbitant rates and they were robbing people who needed the resources to buy these sacrifices to be made right with God. So they were pursuing God, pursuing relationship with God, and these money changers were literally robbing them at the temple courts. And Jesus sees this. And Jesus flips tables. Uh, Albert Tate says that uh, what's important to note, uh, he's a, a preacher in Mississippi, is that Jesus did not flip people, he flipped tables, um, right? So a lot of people want to flip people, right? Uh, um, but he didn't flip people, he flipped tables. And the table was representative of the institution that was causing the oppression and was causing the robbery and was causing... And so what Jesus was doing is he was turning over the actual institution that was causing the injustice. And so too many of us, we want to attack people and we don't want to attack the problem and the systems. And, and the reality is, is Jesus would call us to, to go about not attacking people, but attacking the systems that cause the oppressions and the injustices in the world, that we would do something about those things. And, and that's what Jesus does here in this story. And, uh, but what, what's problem is there's a fine line between when the injustice, the, the righteous anger because the injustice is something that's happening to someone else, and the, the anger that's unrighteous because somehow I'm involved, 
And that, that gets really tricky. It's a, it's a fine line. Jesus tells another story um, in Luke about the, the parable of the prodigal son. And it really ought to be called the parable of the prodigal sons uh, because there were two sons in this story. The, the younger son is the one that gets all the airtime. Uh, most sermons are preached on this younger son. The younger son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead, basically. Uh, I want my inheritance now. I'd rather have my money than a relationship with you. And, and I want to go live my life the way I want to live my life. And so the father gives him half of the inheritance. He goes off. He squanders his wealth in sinful living, just, uh, just wastes it in, in awful ways. And he finds himself in a pig pen, miserable. And he says, what am I doing? You know, my father's servants are eating better than I'm eating right now. I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to say, can I just be a servant? He gets there, the father runs out, hugs him, embraces him, says, my son that was dead is now alive, throws a party for him, puts a ring on his finger, you know, kills the fatted calf. And the older son is so angry. The older son is so upset. I mean, just seethes with anger that his brother who went off and lived this way could be forgiven that his brother who went off and squandered all the wealth of the family could come back and, and, and just be put back this quick. I mean, just so angry. And, and the way he says it is that this, this son of yours has come back and I've, I've slaved for you all these years. That's the language that the older son uses. I've slaved for you all these years. And if you read the parable again in Luke, um, he, he says over and over, I did this. I did that, I did this, I did that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. There's all of this that's going on in the older son. And, and the father comes out, he begs him to come in, and the older son, we, we don't hear the end of the story, Jesus leaves it open-ended. Because there is this question of, how will the son respond? Um, and, but the reality is, is that, that anger, his, his self-interest was distorting his perception of injustice. His self-interest was distorting that it seemed unjust that the son would be allowed back, but it was his own self-interest that half of his wealth was squandered. When, when the father died, the, the estate would be, uh, you know, this younger son had wasted everything, but now he came back. Everything he was eating was technically the older son's. The, the all that he had been given was technically the older sons because he had already wasted his half of the inheritance and all the rest would have been this older sons. And so his own self-interest blinded him to what would cause him to be righteous and unrighteous anger. And so um, it, it is true you are going to get angry about some things you see in the world that are unjust. You, I, absolutely, if you're, if you're paying attention at all, you ought to see some things that make you angry in the world. But let's be honest, more often than not, when we get angry, we're not getting angry about an injustice in the world. More often than not, we're getting angry about something that has been unjust to us. It's somehow our own self-interest has caused us to be intertangled in this. And, and what we will try to make a, a righteous anger is this is this kind of manipulated righteous anger because really it's twisted in our own hearts. And the only way to really cipher through that is just to ask the Lord to help you. Lord, am, am I angry about this because of me? Or am I angry about this because this is a righteous anger? And what can I do about it? That's the next question that's really important. When you get angry, what can I and what should I do about this? 
And so the, the first thing that causes us to be angry is injustice, and it should. The second thing that causes us to be angry is unmet desires or blocked goals. Um, this is uh, when you didn't get something that you thought you should get. When, when you, you didn't get what was coming to you. And what should have happened didn't happen. Um, so I showed you a, a clip from The Office. Um, some of you have seen that. Some of you haven't. Um, I'll show you another clip uh, from another show that some of you have seen and some of you haven't. Um, to be fair, this was before my time. Uh, but if you've ever seen The Andy Griffith Show, um, this is going to be just a picture of getting angry over something that you should have got and you didn't. Watch this. Hey, I got an idea. What? What if we was to show Opie how bad it looks for somebody to sit around and feel sorry for himself for being a sore loser? Yeah. You know that application I put in for a raise? Yeah. What if I was to pretend that I got the answer and if they had turned me down, I was feeling real sore about it? That'd show him, wouldn't it? Wait. Good. When Opie comes by the courthouse, I'll come in, act like I got the answer, and they turn me down, I'll just fling a fit and carry on. <laughs> Good idea. clip because it just reminds us so beautifully just how often our anger and our frustration are from the fact that we didn't get what we wanted there, there was something that I hoped for there was something that I desired I didn't get that and therefore I'm angry James chapter 4 actually talks about this uh, in verses 1 through 3 uh, it says this it says what is causing the quarrels and fights among you. Don't they come from the evil desire at war within you? 
You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you want only what will give you pleasure. When we desire something, there's nothing wrong with hoping for things, nothing wrong with desiring things, but when we desire things and we don't get it, when our goals are blocked and we allow that to cause us to become angry, rather than feel pain or disappointment, that is the problem. And so the, the reason we do this, it's easier in, in feeling pain when you are disappointed, feeling uh, disappointed um, when, when you don't get something you want, when a goal is blocked, you know, when you don't get that raise, feeling pain about that, feeling disappointment with that, that's totally natural. That's totally okay. Those are emotions that, that are normal emotions, but it's much easier, it actually feels better to get angry than it does to feel pain. We don't like to sit in our pain, so sometimes it's just easier to get angry than it is to sit in our pain. Sometimes it's easier to get angry than it is to sit in our disappointment, and so we become angry instead of that disappointment and that pain, and, and whenever, whenever that happens, it turns into something toxic that turns into that chronic anger that is so unhealthy in our lives. And in Luke 10, Jesus um, tells a story of when, when he visits uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's this picture of, of Jesus and, and Mary is with the disciples and she's just enjoying Jesus' teaching and, and just enjoying his presence. And you see them in the living room and everybody's kind of sitting around and, and Jesus is just there with them and it's this beautiful thing. And Martha... She's in the kitchen, and she is stewing. She's not stewing tomatoes. She's stewing in anger. I mean, she, the longer they are out there talking and fellowshipping and just being in Jesus, the more she's just getting angry. And it's just brewing, and it's brewing in her heart. And, and finally, she comes out. And we don't know exactly what, was, what that unmet desire was for Martha. Maybe the unmet desire was as I'm in here cooking and the unmet desire is as I need Mary's help in order to cook this meal. Maybe the unmet desire was as I want Jesus's attention and I'm not getting Jesus's attention. My sister Mary is getting Jesus. We, we don't know, you know, I won't psychoanalyze Martha here, but, but something was going on. There was an unmet desire in Martha's life and she's just getting more and more angry. She finally storms out in the room. She's like, Jesus, will you tell Mary to get in this kitchen and help me prepare this meal? And Jesus, instead of addressing Mary, or instead of addressing Martha, or instead of addressing Mary and saying, Mary, get in the kitchen and help your sister Martha, Jesus addresses Martha. This is Martha, Martha. You, you are upset by so many things. But your sister has actually chosen the better to be here in my presence. And, and you could have kind of chosen this too, but instead you are getting angry and upset over these things. And, and Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and says, this isn't about your sister. This is about what you are allowing to cause you to become angry. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've told you when we go on trips as a family, um, I, I just, it's one of my trigger moments. Um, and my family will tell you, 
uh, whenever we go on a trip, dad's probably going to end up sooner or later losing his cool. Um, and the reason is, is because what I want is for us to be on time. That's my desire, right? And when that desire is being an unmet desire, because we have to like do 50 things that are on a list that I didn't know about the night before, um, you know, I won't name anybody, uh, but um, you know, there's, there, there's just like, can we get out of the house, right? And, and I, that anger flares up, why? Because I've got an unmet desire, there's something that I wanted to happen and that's not happening, that's causing me to get angry. The anger is not the problem, it's how we deal with it. And it's, do we choose to blow up? Or do we choose to get angry and to calmly address the situation, to work on the, to, to be able to say, hey, this is the actual unmet desire that I have, to, to be able to be aware of that, to be in tune with what's causing us to be angry. I, I think if there's one thing as Christians we need to do better about is to just be aware, why am I getting angry? Ask that question, what, what's causing me to be angry right now? And, and ask the Lord to help you decipher what is the unmet need that you're dealing with? And, and how can he help you pinpoint it so that you can work through it instead of just becoming angry over and over and over again? And so um, the, the third thing, and, and for the sake of time, I'll just give you one more. And, and there's, there's a lot of other things that could cause us to be angry, but I'll give you one more, and it's disappointment with God. And I see this a lot in people, particularly as a pastor, uh, where uh, people will look at other people's lives. And they will, they will look at their life and their problems and their challenges, and they look at other people's lives, and they just kind of feel like they've been handed an unfair deck of cards. And it just seems like, you know, they, they're, they're angry because God hasn't given them a fair hand. God hasn't been just to them. And and so life's not fair, and if life's not fair, that means God's not fair. And so our anger then is just directed at God. And our anger is, you know, hey, you know, God, why, why aren't I more successful? Why aren't I more wealthy? Why aren't I more beautiful? Why aren't I more intelligent? Why aren't I more athletic? Why don't I have the gifts that that person has or the gifts that that person has? Why, why have I had to deal with this and nobody else has to deal with this? And, and whenever we find ourselves in those places, it's not wrong, again, to feel disappointment. It's not wrong to feel pain. And it's not even wrong, this might surprise you, and actually, God invites this, it's not even wrong for you to tell God you're disappointed in Him. And to tell God you're hurt and you're even angry at it, it's okay to even talk to God about those things. That's the beauty of praying the Psalms. And if you, will, if you will take seriously praying the Psalms, you will find that there's language given to you to talk to God about those emotions. And you'll find that as you talk to God about those emotions, God is able to do some things in your heart that he could never do if you weren't willing to talk to him about those emotions. And so when we let it simmer and we let it seethe, uh, it, it turns into a lack of trust in God. And we feel like we have to become a vigilante. You know, vigilante says, you know, well, if God's not going to do something about it, I'll do something about it. And I feel like I've got to bring justice in the world. And I've got to solve the problem. And if, and if God's not going to get involved in fixing this, I'll fix it myself. And, and instead of trusting and waiting on God, we go about like a vigilante trying to solve things in our power and our strength and what we can do. And we see just over and over uh, in the Psalms, and particularly here in Psalm 37, 
In Psalm 37, the psalmist is, is upset and he's reacting to some unfairness in life. And it's almost like he's saying, hey God, are you paying attention? Are you looking around? Are you seeing the wealthy people prosper? And then you look at me and just not, are, are you going to be okay with this, God? What's the problem? Where are you at? Hello, God. Are you paying attention up there? And there's this kind of a, an attitude that's going on. And instead of God becoming angry at this, there, there's a change of heart in the psalmist. And even expressing this to God, God is able to work in his heart. And in Psalm 37, 7 through 9, it says this, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. This, this possessing the land is this metaphor that, hey, God's going to take care of you. If you'll wait and you'll trust in the Lord, God will take care of you. I've given you a, lot, a few more psalms there that you can read on your own. I hope you do in your note sheet. But I'll just read you this last one in, in Psalm 135. It's the, the third one. Uh, it says this, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I've put my hope in his word. And, and there's just something about saying, God, I, I'm upset about this. I'm angry about this. I'm hurt by this. I'm disappointed by this. But I'm going to trust in you. I'm going I'm to choose to trust in you in the midst of my anger. I'm going to choose to do what you tell me to do, and that is not let the sun go down on my anger. I'm going to forgive whatever I need to forgive, and I'm going to choose to walk with you, and I'm not going to let situational anger turn into chronic anger that will ruin my life and ruin the lives of the people around me. And so I, I just would encourage you before we uh, turn to worship and song and, and responding, uh, this week to do a to do a kind of a, an anger audit. So your homework this week is just to do this anger audit and just to prayerfully say, Lord, what's causing me to be angry? Is it something from back here that I've not dealt with? Or is it, is it something that I, I need to address? Is there, is there this righteous anger about something that's wrong that's happening and I need to do something about it? Do an anger audit. And see where it is that the Lord points you to. And say, Lord, I need you to help me trust in you to wait on you. Let's, let's pray together before we worship the Lord in song. Lord, we just, we come to you right now and we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have been unrighteously angry. Lord, that we have not just had the emotion of anger, but we've lashed out in ways that are ruining our testimony and our witness. We've, we've lashed out in ways that have caused people to, to think less of you and who we are and, and walking with you. We've, we've hurt our family. We've hurt people around us. Lord, you, you have seen us as we do that. And, and all of us in this room, all of us online are guilty of this at some point. So Lord, we just confess to you that, that we need your forgiveness. We need your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize when our anger is a righteous anger. And in those moments, Lord, that we would do something about the injustice that we see. We would do something about the, the difficulties and, and the, the wrongs that are being done. That, that we would be a people that would not just become angry, but we would do something about the wrongs that we see. And Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize when we're angry because we're connected to it. And that we would be willing to forgive and we would be willing to sit in the pain and sit in the disappointment but not seethe in our anger 
And Lord, only you can help us do that. And so we give it to you. We pray that you would help us in the days to come to do just that. And Lord, we ask all of these things in your mighty and your holy name. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.